It's an all-new back-to-back episode of View the Right Thing. First up, Wes and Steve make their way to Ireland to follow a retired Irish-American boxer who returns to the village of his youth to live out his years and ends up falling in love with a nearby lass. But local rural tradition stands between them in John Ford's 1952 film, The Quiet Man. Then... Wes and Steve delve into another Steven Spielberg classic. This time, the follow-up to his blockbuster film, Jaws. Spielberg incidentally teams up again with actor Richard Dreyfuss in this groundbreaking sci-fi extraterrestrial classic, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And now it's time for View the Right Thing. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, welcome back to another episode of View the Right Thing with Steve and sometimes what? No. All the Always time, Wes. Wes, but. Wes and sometimes Steve. There you go. Happy, uh. Quiet Man Day. Yay. We watched The Quiet Man. Am I supposed to be more quiet? Oh, gee, I don't know. Probably not. He wasn't very quiet. Not good for the... Well, he was quiet about something. That was the twist of the film. I guess so. There was there was one thing he was like, uh, you know, he was right. trying not to talk about. Yeah, he was keeping quiet about one thing that only one person in town knew about anyway. Right. Are we jumping way too far ahead of ourselves here? Re the quiet man? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. What a quiet man he was. Yeah. Well, let's... Uh, Shoving and digging around with his funny shovel. Let's talk about... Okay, let's do full disclosure for the listeners. Full disclosure? Full disclosure is we might be recording this early. Oh. So we're, we may talk about a movie in the theater that's in the theater now. But you're, you're not hearing this until March. Ah. Oh. Mid-March. Mid-March. They don't mind. Yeah, okay. They listen for our personality. They don't care about time uh, and space. I'm just saying, if it's not like we waited a month to go see this film. Right. I was there opening day. I was not there opening day. I was there the day after opening day. My MoviePass app crashed right when I went to the theater. Did you throw a fit? And Did you other put your people foot through the door? Were like, yeah, my MoviePass app has crashed right now too. And I was like, I get it, MoviePass. America first. I get it. Wait, so you took the risk on MoviePass on opening day? Yeah, because there's no guaranteed seats, right? theater i go to there is oh yeah you go to the crazy theater over by your house huh one of them yeah the cheap theater not that one no uh, a slightly less cheap theater uh. just as crazy okay just as crazy and i'm not gonna say the name of it because i don't want to give it away but let me tell you for that screening of black panther there were maybe maybe 30 people in the theater oh i was in heaven our theater was not full either Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was expecting ours to be chock full of people. It was, uh, you know, school had let out. I was expecting it to be full of yutz knuckles. 
Yeah. No, maybe 30 people. I think we saw... Everybody was cool. An 11 a.m. showing... 11 a.m. At a pretty popular theater. Yeah. You guys went to... Uh, the 16. The 16. Those, those in, the, in the Valley know what the 16 is. Now, do they make you choose seats at the 16 now? Yeah. Yeah, at that one they do. But they haven't improved the seats. Yeah, well, some of them. Oh, they have? In some of the theaters, in some of the auditoriums, I should say, they're reclining. Radical. Um, and at the... <laughs> really, eight, bro? Yeah, no, dog. Come on, man. He's like, you're talking about a cat movie. He's Stop a, it. He's a racist. Oh, um, no. Uh, at the 8, <clears throat> near that 16 theater, Yeah. The, all the seats are reclining seats. Ah, uh, yes. That's the one They just re- the redid it. Yeah. In case you're not from Southern California or live around here, in a beautiful town called Burbank. Oh, now you're telling them exactly where it is. So you don't want to tell anyone where your theater is. I'm not going to tell them exactly where it is. I'm just going to let them know it's in a beautiful town called Burbank. And within like a three block radius, there's an AMC 16, an AMC 6, and an AMC 8. And it's kind of wonderful. It's like 32 screens or something like that. 30, 30 screens. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Pretty wonderful, but I don't go there that much anymore. There's about um, within about a mile of of where we are right now. There's about twenty something screens. Dang. At, at different theaters. There's four different theaters. What's that? The Americana? No, no, not that's too far away. That's not within a mile. The Russiacana? No, none of those things. There's no name for it. They just all happen to exist in this area. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah, Black Panther was the movie of the day. It was it was good. I liked it a lot. I liked it. I fell asleep a little bit in the early hours. That's just you, though. Yeah, it's not reflective of the movie. I don't think it's not. I uh, I had been really really burned out on day job work, and I'd had very little coffee. And so as soon as the movie took just even the slightest breath, I zonked out, but only for like two or three minutes. As a movie person, you know, a lot of the time we, especially on this podcast, we talk about. Um, like historic significance of film, yeah, and rarely do we actually get to experience them. Like neither of us were alive for Star Wars when that came out, you know. Very true. Um, and uh, although this... I was alive for Going with the Wind, which a lot of no, people you were find not. Out. Yeah, you were not. Um, I was Rep Butler's mustache way back in 1939. Um, no, uh, it, it did feel like like this has some some historical significance, and it did feel like. At least to me, um, like we were, we were experiencing something special that will be looked at, you know, looked back upon as a really important thing. I hope so. Yeah, it was good. The uh, the racists sure are trying to have fun with it. Have you seen the uh, fake reports of like people getting beaten up at yeah. Black Panthers? Oh man, yeah, recycling old people, like yeah images of people that were beat up and stuff. Yeah, and like well well known images too. Yeah, being like somebody told me. This movie's not for me, and I'm not supposed to be here. And it's like, shut up. Yeah. Gosh, they make me sick. If anything, I saw like mixed cultures and races like exactly. celebrating it together. Yeah, I saw uh, a white dude in uh, some African garb. There you go. With with his buddy who was black, and also in African garb. Also in African garb. Yeah, that's fun. Celebrate. Yeah. It's Good a times. celebration. Um, I guess without spoiling anything, yeah. Who is your least favorite king of Wakanda? 
I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what do you want me to say? You don't have to answer that at all. Uh, I joke with you. I didn't have um, a least favorite anything in that film. I, I liked I liked every performance. Um, I, I didn't like all of the story decisions. Oh. But uh, um, generally that's... I, I don't like... Uh, I don't want to give much away. Um I don't want. I don't like it when. Oh, never mind. I'm not going to say it. Okay. It, would, it would just. It would be too easy to read into it. Um, huh. But yeah, I do. I do like that. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is the second Human Torch to jump over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's right. Um, Whoa. I like. Uh, so now both guys who have played the Human Torch have jumped in the in the Millennium. Yeah. Into. The Marvel Cinematic Universe from the... What do you call the other one? The, the Fox, Fox... The Fantastic Four-iverse? I don't know. Yeah. Four-iverse? Fantastic Snoriverse. Yeah. All those movies. I uh, I also really liked Martin Freeman in it. Sure. He um, did a fine job. Yeah, well, I think what I liked about it was the potential <clears throat> with that character. Oh. That's all I'll say. I, oh. I had a theory. I'll tell you later. I have a theory about... His character. Yeah? Yeah. It, it would be pretty great if it was true. If it turned out to be. No, I'm trying to figure out what it might be. No, nah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, the potential. I didn't love some of the CG. Bilbo Baggins' character. You didn't love some of the CG. I didn't like how... And maybe it was because you saw it in 3D. I, I heard the 3D was really good and I was not very impressed with it. Ah. And I normally love 3D. Um, I I wonder if maybe the 3D made it more easy to made it easier to pick out the CG like bodies oh. flying around and jumping and stuff. I can imagine it would. Um, whereas if it was flat 2D, then it wouldn't have been as it wouldn't stu- wouldn't have stuck out as much maybe. Um, but uh, other than all that, I really liked the movie. I thought it was very good. It was pretty cool. I saw it in 2D. Yeah, I was very pleased. Um, there's Walt. Walt's he's so mad because we're talking about a pro cat movie. Pro cats, and it's the year of the cat. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. What do you mean? No, it's, it's not. It's the year of the dog, and you know it. Oh, so he's on his high horse out there. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a jerk. Yeah. So I I had I I was faced with a. A dilemma sitting in the theater because you know the next section of things we normally talk about on the podcast is uh, what? trailers. Trailers, have you seen? And I have not watched an Avengers Infinity War trailer. Not even at Black Panther. So I was like, so Star Wars. Um, I it came on, and I yeah. closed my eyes, and oh. I closed my ears, and I hummed to myself. Um, and. So before this, I was like, should I or should I not? We're so close to Avengers now. You know, we're only like two months away. Should I just go ahead and watch it or should I wait the two months? Um, and, and as the trailers were going on, I looked over at Desi and said, I'm going to watch it. All right. But I felt really conflicted about it. And I felt a little like, why are you doing this to yourself? You probably shouldn't watch it. But I was still like determined to. Okay. They did not play it. No, really. No. So I had the dis- had the, dis- the choice taken away from me anyway. So it was. We I'm, got. I'm glad I didn't see it. Okay, that's pretty wild. We got Avengers: Infinity War. Okay. Solo, a Star Wars. Saw story. that. Got that one. Skyscraper. 
I'm pretty sure. Oh, we did not get the the with, with Dwayne the with Rock Dwayne. Johnson. Yeah, that was um, dominating. Hurricane Heist. Oh, I, I kind of want to see which, that. Oh, I'm going to watch the hell out of that movie. <laughs> Looks dumb, but I really want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going in with low expectations, and I'm just going to enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, a heist in a hurricane, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Um, there had to be more than four, but that's all I can remember right um, now. We also got A Wrinkle in Time. We didn't have that one, and I was very surprised. And we also didn't have uh, Ready Player One. Did you have Ready Player One? We didn't on this one, no. But we did get Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I had not seen yet. We got that, too. Yeah. I hadn't seen it yet, either. I'm and very I'm excited for it. also excited. Comes out on my birthday. Oh, yeah? And your brother's birthday. Oh yeah, yeah, Which pretty exciting. Comes out near my birthday. Oh, 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 oh! The the one that actually probably had me the most excited. Yeah, new Mission Impossible. I had I not didn't watched see the trailer that either. Yet. Oh, it's it looks so much like so much fun. Did you hear about the broken ankle video? I watched it. I, Ooh, I, is I it an ankle? To watch it. Some part of his leg. I think it's his knee. Um, so I, I watched it, and actually, um, the that stunt is in the trailer. Dang, really? Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. yeah. I've only heard the story of it, and I'm like, I don't think I can watch that. Oh. Well, when I saw the video, you can't, oh. you can't really tell anything. Like, he does the stunt. Yeah. Uh, he gets up and finishes the shot. Oh, my God. And then, then starts limping after the shot. Wow. I mean, he kind of limps a little bit during the shot, but... Um, you can't I, blame him. Yeah. I, th- I thought maybe it was his knee, but it could have been his ankle. I Ooh. heard ankle, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. All I know is it sounds awful, but, you know, good for him for, the, for the, saving the take. The footage is also really far away. Ah. So it's not it's not like you're seeing anything super brutal. Okay. You wouldn't have even known if he wasn't limping. Okay. So. I feel better about that. Yeah. But, yeah, I liked the uh, new Mission Impossible song they used for it. Bum, bada, bing, I thought it was... Bum, bum, nope, bum, that's bing, not Mission bada, Impossible. Bada, 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 Mission Impossible. Mm-mm. Oh, is that... So that's a different movie. Eighteen? Yeah, it's eighteen. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I liked. Uh, I really, I'm really excited about that movie. I cool. Like there, there's one other trailer we got, but probably not that important. Is Simon Pegg in it? Simon Pegg was in it. I don't want to say everyone was in it, but uh, is it, it Man- Emmanuel Bear in it? Um, I don't know who that is. She was the lead in Mission Impossible One. Oh. Twenty-one years ago. No. She. <laughs> I don't think she was in it. I don't I think she I, was either. I, yeah. Based on the way Mission the way Impossible Mission, ends. Yeah, the way it ends. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it seems like... So, like, the last Mission Impossible seemed like it was like, hey, we're doing this big, fun, thrill ride. Kind of silly. It was very funny. It was a much funnier Mission Impossible than the other ones. Talking about... Uh, Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. And this one looks like they're going... Like, they're still having fun, but... They're going back to something a little bit serious. They're 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 developing the character and sort of delving into Ethan Hunt a little bit more. Oh, so I'm very excited about it. Sounds cool. Yeah, is this the sixth one? Uh, yeah. Sixth Holy one. shnikes! I'm gonna rewatch all five before. Hell yeah, dude! That's also in July, by the way. Oh man, July's gonna be on fire. Yeah, there's something that comes out in October that we saw a trailer for. Um, I can't remember what it was. Tower Heist? Rampage? Tower Heist. No, Rampage is sooner this spring. I'm going to watch Rampage so hard. Oh, we got the Deadpool trailer? Oh, yeah, we got that. Yeah, simple. I'm going to go see it. Looks yeah. fun. Yeah. It's a good trailer. 
It's a great trailer. And it's like, hey, here's the, the new thing. And then here's all this old stuff really fast that yeah. you loved from the first movie is back. So. I like it. That was a smart way to do a trailer. Way to go, Deadpool. Way to go, Deadpool. I feel like I'm getting hoarse. Do I sound like I'm getting hoarse? No. Okay. But you are getting long in the face. That's probably true. <laughs> that will happen to a horse, man. Um, and it'll happen to a man, horse. What was that other man. movie? There's something coming out in October, and I was—I remember I looked over at Desi because we do we celebrate birthday month. Was it Slenderman? And I was like, birthday month. Uh, no, it was not Slender. It wasn't a scary movie. Okay. Was it Jurassic World? Fallen Kingdom. I don't Kingdom? think that's in October, is it? Probably not. That would. But we did get that trailer as well again. All right. And I really am looking forward to that because I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Huge Jurassic Park fan. We've got the biggest T Rexes in this movie this time around. So much bigger than the others. Believe me. That's also a really well-made trailer, The Fallen Kingdom, where they use the like slow, kind of haunting version of the Jurassic Park theme. It's like a little like off key. Yeah, it's very flat. dissonant and like screeching yeah. kind of. And yeah, I get you. Yeah, it's it's scary. It makes me very scary. And it appears that T Rex may be the hero again. Yeah. T Rex has always been the hero. People don't realize that in the first movie. T Rex is the hero. It's kind of true. People aren't the heroes. Well, he's the hero in Jurassic World. He's a, he's a, yeah he's a hero in in any movie that features a T Rex. The T Rex is the hero. Hell yeah, dude. Do it, T Rex. Um, did you see fifteen seventeen to Paris? I haven't yet. I really want to. Um, I did. I like Clint Eastwood. How how did the three main actors fare? Because that's the part that's the question mark for me. Are those three guys? Are they bad? That's the, that's the question. Is are they bad? This is all I did there. I know. I'm trying to think of how to nicely word it. Because, see, I went in with low expectations for those guys because I sure. knew they were the real guys. Sure. And let's just say I feel like they do about as well as they can with the material that's written for them. Yeah, I mean, it's a true story. So yeah. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can do, but more could have been done. It, which is why it came out in, at the end of January, beginning of February. It felt like with a no first fanfare. draft... And uh, no, that's too bad. Yeah, because it's a really incredible story. It's an incredible moment in our recent history. Clint Eastwood's been hot and bothered about these true that's stories rough. lately. Uh, yeah, because what was his last movie? American Sniper and Sully and I thought. Th- oh yeah, this. Sully was between American Sniper. Yeah. Yeah, and this was a drastic step down from Sully. I'm afraid to say. I still haven't seen Sully, to be honest. Oh really? Yeah, just I, like I, I couldn't get to it when it was in the theater. And uh, it was on, like, one of the subscribe channels, you know, like uh, HBO or something. And then I went to go to watch it, and it was gone. So, well, I don't know. when it comes back around, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Um, this movie, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. But yeah. it really just seemed like a lot of the dialogue and stuff written was just kind of thrown on the page as almost a, as a bit of a placeholder. Yeah, and then nobody bothered to go back and change it. <laughs> I want to see it more because uh, because I feel like it's kind of experimental. That I agree with. I think everybody should watch. It. Yeah, um, but you know, just be ready to be like, who talks like that? Yeah, you know, and it's it's nothing yeah. to do with the actors. It's a lot to do with they could have reworked that line a little bit. I mean, there's literally a scene that's 
two, maybe three minutes of two of the guys and a girl that they met in Venice, Italy, ordering gelato. And it's uh. like, I had like mint chocolate chip. Okay, mint chocolate chip for you. Hmm, I'd like that flavor. Oh, that flavor for you. And it just keeps going. That's what we call, sh- we call like, shoe leather in the business. Yeah, I'm like, why are they wasting so much time just pacing on the around. scene? Um, uh, but, you know, Clint, you've done so much great work. And this is also pretty cool. God bless you. I want to surprise you with uh, something I knew I want, <laughs> I want to try out for the podcast. All right. Let's just, let's just wing it and try it. Trying something new. So there is an area of new film... It kept it kept vibrating towards me like it was gonna fall, and I kept saving it. You are talking about your cell phone, right? Yeah. Not you know. What other phone? Well, not a phone at all. Okay. Continue. Anyways, so there's um, an area of film that we don't talk about where there are new films coming out, and we don't you know they don't come out in theaters. So yeah, and they're not in the bucket because a lot of times we don't know about them until they're out. Very true. Um, so I, I'm thinking maybe we should spend a little bit of time and talk about, um, in addition to theatrical films, streaming films yeah. that are new to the world. Not sure. film, not an old film. Like I watched, um, you know, I'm doing this 365 movie challenge this year yeah. for myself. So I watched the Emoji movie. I'm sorry. The, yeah, me too. Um... <sighs> Uh, th- that's not the kind of film I want to talk about because that came out in theaters and everybody had a chance to see it and, yeah. and talk about it. I'm talking about, you know, the Amazon Prime, yeah. straight to Netflix, straight to Hulu, whatever. I get you. Um, anything you want to talk about? Anything you think of right off the top of your head? One I movie? just watched the new one with Adam Devine and Alexandra Daddario. I watched that also. I think it's called When We First Met. When We First Met, that's true. Um, I liked it a lot. I love shipping a bottle movies. Ship in a bottle movies. movies. Why is it called that? Because it's like the person's trapped in the same little air, little oh. area, and they do the whole thing over. It's um, I get you. From my understanding, is it's based on the Star Trek: The Next Generation episode called "Ship in a Bottle," where they the Enterprise keeps blowing up, and they keep reliving the same oh dang. like several hours over and over and over again until they there finally realize that there's something going on. Yeah. And that's kind of what this is. This is t- kind of a time travel movie. Yeah. He realizes it pretty quickly, but yeah. then he's got to keep going and getting it right. And I just thought it was real funny. Uh, it's a little different than Shipping About, but close. Sure, sure. Um, I really liked the message that was going on in it, which I won't spoil. Yeah. I liked the um, the realization he has. Yes. Um, and I like the, the performances of the actors and actresses. Yeah. Uh, except for the best friend. I didn't really love... I thought he was just like... Um, stereotypical caricature black guy. I can see that being the case. I wish there would have been more depth with him, but yeah. the movie wasn't about him, so I don't know. Very true. This is very true. But yeah, very funny movie when we first met. By the time this airs, there might be a movie streaming on Amazon. That you're in? Yup. Can you tell what it can you tell what it's called? It's called Ice the Movie. Oh, it's going to be on Amazon. It's Did Amazon pick it up? Coming to... Gosh, I'm, I hope it's Amazon. I'm pretty sure it's coming to Amazon on March 10th. To purchase I'll, or to stream? I'll triple check. There's right a difference. Now. There's a difference between like, you know, subscribing to Amazon Prime and being able to watch it versus. Um, God bless you. Yep, you about to sneeze. Oh, yes. um, okay. Versus like it being like 
for example, even though it came out in theaters, Manchester by the Sea was an Amazon film. Was it really? Yes. Whoa. So before, after it was in theaters, but before the Academy Awards, it was available to stream on Amazon. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, there's another. Uh, no, there was I can't find any of the posts about it. A documentary that was nominated last year. Um, <laughs> about. Um, called Life Animated. And that was also an Amazon film that was available to stream. Whoa. Um, on Amazon before the Academy Awards. So yeah. Uh, so I'm curious to know if, if Amazon picked up Ice or if it just is going to happen to be on there or... That I don't exactly know. That's more what I'm, I'm looking for. Is not movies that are like straight to video. Right. But movies that are produced by Netflix or produced by Amazon. Understood. Made for the, their platform. Well, when I find out more, I'll definitely let you know, dear listener. Like it's kind of like uh, Disney has new Marvel TV series coming out. Yeah, a couple of them, and some new Star Wars series TV series coming out. Oh yeah, but they're going to be exclusive to their new Disney platform. Holy shnikes! Yeah, so you won't get them on Netflix. You won't get them on TV. You'll only be able to watch them on the Disney, uh, whatever it is, whatever they're calling it. Dang. Well, look for Ice the Movie, March 10th. Ice the Movie. If you're listening to this and it's after March 10th... It's after March 10th. Look for Ice the Movie, baby. I can tell you that, because these will always come out on the 15th. Oh, yeah. They give or take a day, but... But how do I know which month? I don't know. I don't think that far ahead, this baby. Is, this is the March episode. Oh. Damn, March weather. Lousy March weather. There was um, another one I saw. Yeah? Well, I was going to... You do yours. Yeah, because yeah, you did when we first met. I'll yeah. do uh, the fundam. No, not the fundamentals of caring. Um, oh, I saw that too. I did watch that. Uh, That's a futile, a futile and stupid gesture. That was called a few and stew. Yeah, a futile and stupid futile gesture. Futile and stupid gesture. Uh, really, really liked it. Yeah. Um, about um, one of the creators of the National Lampoon. Yeah. And went on to write Animal House and Caddyshack, and uh, kind of like a. Tortured, misunderstood genius in, yeah. in some ways. Was he tortured? I mean, he was tortured by his own psychosis, like his own. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like inability to cope with a tragedy in his in his life as a child. There is that. That's a good um, point. And I the expectations watch of his father. Yeah. So yeah, definitely tortured. Um, I, I it was it was interesting because the movie's really 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 funny. Yeah. The whole way through. But then there's, like, about halfway through the movie, he starts getting serious. But just a little. Like, the, the, the humor doesn't really let up. Yeah. It's just serious things are also happening. Uh, and I was really kind of... I didn't know the story of the guy. So I was mm. kind of blown away by how it ended. And thought it was kind of beautiful and poignant. All right. The, the last scene especially. Yeah. So. I think I know which scene you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty good movie. I had seen the documentary <clears throat> Drunk Stone Brilliant Dead pretty recently as well. So this whole story was... Fresh. Well, kind of not fresh for me. I mean, not fresh. That's what I meant to say. Um, so it was a bit of a rehashing. It was, it was fresh in your mind. Is what yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. The story was still fresh in my mind. And then I'm seeing it told in a new way. But it's still pretty good. It was enjoyable. I liked a lot of the performances. I love the cast. Yeah. I'll watch anything with Will Forte. Yeah, he's great. I'll watch almost anything with Domhnall Gleeson. Domhnall Gleeson, star of Peter Rabbit. He was in uh, 
feeling Stupid Jeff Shorzy? Yeah. Who's he in? He's the dude with the jet black hair who starts the magazine with Doug Kenny. That was Domhnall Gleeson? That was Domhnall General Hux not look like him at all. I know. Like, Domhnall Gleeson's a redhead. That's how he got you, man. He was like... No, that was really him? That was him. He was really great in it. Ex Machina's Domhnall Gleeson. I like him. Uh, Bill Weasley. About times. About times. Domhnall Gleeson. Hasn't he played two time travelers? Or am I thinking Rachel McAdams is in two movies? She's in two movies. Time Traveler's Girlfriend. I had this discussion with, uh, well, sort of, we touched on this with Joey. Yeah. Where we were talking about Domino Gleason being in a Black Mirror episode that I really liked with Haley Atwell. Haley Atwell. And, uh, yeah, I don't need to rehash it all because the listeners heard it the last episode. Yeah, okay, now I remember. Three episodes, I don't know. Several episodes ago. Um, Domhnall Gleeson's in Peter Rabbit in theaters now. I hear it's terrible. It's causing a lot of problems. For all those people with allergies? Well, for people who live anywhere near rabbits. Oh, really? My mom's car was acting up on her the other day. Yeah? She takes it into the... She's like, my car's acting real weird. Just takes it straight into a garage. Yeah. They pop the hood. A live rabbit jumps out. It had been chewing on wires. Cool. In her engine compartment. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is like, cool. I looked at the newspaper and I was yeah. like... Peter Rabbit just opened in theaters. This is not a coincidence, folks. So you think the rabbits are seeing Peter Rabbit and getting influenced in a negative way? Yup, they're like, oh, oh no. maybe I want to oh, harass no. a human being right now. Is Domino Gleason uh, McGregor? I is guess he, so. Is he, he, he the farmer? The human guy. Yeah, like, no whose garden gets get, gets uh, dare I say attacked by Peter Rabbit? Eh, I was gonna say harvested, or at least nibbled upon. Destroy, ruined. Ruined, I say. Ruined for a human, but for the rabbits, it's perfect. Yeah. But yeah, check under your head, folks. Rabbits. Chewing on wires. Rabbits. Well, alright. Cloverfield Paradox? Nah, we don't need to go into it. Alrighty. I liked it. I'll just say that. I liked it, too. I was very surprised that it was happening. I'm glad we were able to talk about um, the connections that you didn't yeah. quite pick up. That was a good one. Um if you're curious yeah, and didn't understand it, or thought you understood it but didn't like it, but maybe you didn't understand it, yeah. that there was something in there that they dropped, maybe you missed it, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, tweet us at VTRT Movies or Big Steve Moulton. Yeah. Should we talk about a quiet man? The quiet man. Should we talk about the quiet man? Now you're being too quiet. I wonder if my mic picked that up. A little bit. Whoa. Um, yeah, we should talk about the quiet man. You Starting okay? John there? Wayne? Starring John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara. So, uh, yeah, let's let's, let's jump into it. So, Quiet Man, directed by John Ford, the great John Ford. John Ford, who played uh, the guy in Chinatown. No. What? He played, uh, like, the the dude, the one, the big big kahuna in Chinatown. Wasn't that John Ford? He would have been really old. He was a pretty old guy. I don't... I don't, well, again, you know, Chinatown's in our bucket because I've never seen it. Oh, that's right. All right, then don't look at anything. No, I'll just I'll just type in John Ford, and I'll type I'll look under actor. Hey, you guys, it's me, filmography. Jack Nicholson. There's director. In he did time, a lot of movies. Steve mentions Chinatown. I gotta show up. What are you doing? And pretend that I'm still Jake Gittis. How did I pronounce my name in that movie? I don't know. He was directing movies all the way back into the 20s. That's awesome. 1919. Way to go, John Ford. 
1918, 1917, it was his first... Uh, that was, he was doing shorts back then. Still. 1917, he did a feature film as Jack Ford, Straight Shooting. Straight Shooting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. 1917. Wow. What a career. Is that pre-sound? Yeah. Wow. Uh, how do I... Scrapper. Uh, sorry, I'm just looking right now. What what movie are we talking about? Chinatown? We're talking about if John Ford plays a guy in Chinatown. No, absolutely not. No? No. Then who is that guy? The last movie he did was uncredited, I and it was 1943. I won't, I won't say it now. Okay. Well, good talk. I remembered it now. Uh-oh. Boy, did I remember it now. Um, so we're talking about the quiet... So John Ford won four... Oscars. Wow. Well, this was his fourth Best Director Oscar. I mean, he did like Grapes of Wrath and some other stuff. Yeah. Um, did a lot of like westerns. Ooh. Um, he didn't do the Searchers. Did I he? believe he did the Searchers. He did do the Searchers. Yeah. <laughs> should I double check that? Do whatever you feel, man. Searchers. Um, if you're listening, you should have watched The Quiet Man. So you know that it takes place. Yes, John Ford. The in Searchers. the most beautiful place on earth. Aaron's yeah. Isle. Yeah. Beautiful Ireland in a little town called Innisfree. Innisfree. Which they say about nine million times in the first ten minutes of the movie. And it's a cute little exchange. Yep. Stagecoach. He won for Stagecoach. Stagecoach. Nice. Oh, I'm sorry. He was nominated for Stagecoach. Oh. He won for Grapes of Wrath, though. So I'll deal with that. That does make sense. Nicely done, John Ford. So Innisfree. It's a little town in Ireland. John Wayne comes riding into a neighboring town called what? I was I, I, I don't not quick. Go. I was gonna say, I was gonna go and tell you how the production came to be. Oh yeah, let me hear it before we got into what the I was film diving was about. into the plot. But let me hear it. Uh, okay, so <laughs> the movie's based on a short story. It was published in the Saturday Evening Post in 1933. Wow, John Ford. Purchased the rights three years later, 1936, nice. for $10. 10 bucks. Well, back in 1936, $10 was a lot of money. True. That was like, I think it was like $1,000 in, uh, in uh, the, the 30s, roughly. You think so? I think it was probably, I mean, I could pull up a calculator, but I'm not going to. Um, and uh, most of the studios didn't really believe the, the idea was profitable. Sure, so I can you, fully they, understand they why. They pretty much just turned him down, left yeah. and right. He uh, he visited Maureen O'Hara on the set of The Spanish Main and cool. offered her the role, and she was like, heck yeah. All right. So they went and they found Republic Pictures, who did, they specialized in westerns, low-budget westerns. Yeah. They made pretty much, for for the amount of money that John Ford said they needed for their budget, that was like a whole year of films for Republic Pictures. Wow. He, he wanted a whopping $2 million. But again, $2 million back in that, that era that was a lot of money. Like $100 million now. $1,000 million. Yeah. That'd be a billion. So, <laughs> uh, the one thing that Republic Pictures had really to their benefit, though, even if he had to like cut his budget. Yeah. Was they had an exclusive contract with John Wayne, the Duke, the Duke. Now John Wayne and the um, Duke exclusive contract and Ford, they were 
close friends. They worked together over and over and over again. They were friends for like 40 years. Uh, Ford is the man who's credited for making John Wayne famous. John Wayne was a, uh, a prop guy. Oh, really? And Ford saw him as a young man and said, you know, what is it you want to do? And John Wayne said, I want to direct. And then he started getting kind of placed in, like, non-speaking roles and things in movies. Yeah. And then eventually they needed a, um, a, an actor. And he, he was like, oh, let's get this guy. Wow. This, this young guy, John Wayne. John, Marion John Wayne. So, yeah, that's, that's that story. Uh, so Re- Republic Republic Pictures signed a three-picture deal, but they wouldn't do The Quiet Man. Really? Unless John Ford did another movie first oh. and proved that it was profitable. All right. Should I guess? Yeah, sure. Also John Wayne? Yes. Have I mentioned it in the last ten minutes? No. Green Berets? N- no. I'm out of guesses. Rio Grande. Nice. So well, that's a pretty big, a pretty big movie. Uh, yeah. I think it. I think it made about two million dollars, which is what they were needing for, to make this other film. Pretty kick, eh? It's a lot of money. Again, a lot of money back then. Still a lot of money today. Right, but if Don't let these, well, if a studio is if yeah. a if a studio is making movies for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right, or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, yeah. and a movie comes in and makes them two million, that's pretty great for them. Word. So I'll take two million dollars. So they they uh, agreed to do the Quiet Man. Ford convinced them to let them shoot in Ireland, which was kind of unheard of. That was very it was not very common for studios to fly a cast and part of a crew, if not all of a crew, yeah. to another country. And uh, you know the director and John Wayne they they took their families. Wow. And um, they did. It, it, a lot of people have this uh, understanding that the entire movie was shot in, in Ireland, but it turns out it wasn't. And so it's like a kind of a hot trivia yeah. thing. That uh, all of the close-ups in the film and all of the interiors are actually in the mostly U.S. All right, uh, on sound sense. stages. And uh, e- even some of the outdoor stuff, as if it was a close-up. So like right at the very beginning of the movie, um, you, know, you were talking about... It's, it takes place in Innisfree. Yeah. Uh, John Wayne shows up on, uh, train. on a choo-choo train. And you notice he's talking to somebody in the car when he gets out. And he pulls an apple out of his pocket. And he and he holds it up and, and smiles and nods at someone inside the... I remember the apple. I don't remember that he was conversing well, with someone. He was conversing, but not audibly. Yeah. Like, you know, we didn't hear anything. So there was a scene that was written in the script that they ended up not shooting where he's on the train and there's a mother and a small child and the small child offers him an apple. They didn't shoot the scene. It would would have been something they would have come back and shot in the United States later on, but it got cut. But he still had to do the performance as if the scene still existed because at the time they shot it, it did exist. That makes sense. Yeah. A little kid giving John Wayne an apple. So, okay, so what happens in the plot? So he meets a whole bunch of people at the train station. Yeah, a bunch of people are trying to tell him how to get to town, and then this funny little guy comes and just grabs his luggage and starts walking away with it. And he says, like, hey, I'll get you to Innisfree. Come on. So as they're riding along, John Wayne, who plays Sean, right, Sean Thornton? Sean Thornton. uh, Reveals that he actually remembers who this little old guy is because he 
remembers him from childhood when John Wayne was a little boy. McLean. And this guy, McLean, was a not quite as little boy, but still a little boy nevertheless. Yep. And, uh, you know, they'd play around the neighborhood together and whatnot. Because John Wayne, it turns out, was born in Inishfree. It was his babysitter, right? McLean. Was he his babysitter? Yeah, he said he said uh, something to the effect of, um, he used to he used to watch after me I guess and sit me on your knee or something. I, I guess something that would kind of make him a babysitter. Something to that effect. So we find out that this quiet man is returning to the town of his birth, even yep. though he is largely considered to be a Yankee. So there's a there's a moment when they're. Coming into Innisfree, and they stop, and he goes and sits on the bridge. And the close-up shots, you can tell yeah. it's not the same bridge if you look closely it enough. Like Forest Lawn, Forest Lawn, the cemetery. Yeah, I think it was an indoor soundstage. Oh, okay, but, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, yeah, so that was one of those first moments that you really got a a taste for the fact that they they shot in a soundstage for close-ups. The backgrounds were also. It's part of the business, baby. Sure. Sometimes it's what you got to do. Well, it irritated John Wayne. John Wayne thought the the interior, the sets, the exterior sets inside the soundstage looked like garbage. Yeah. And he thought they would never match up, which I thought they were passable. I thought they matched up just fine. Yeah. Uh, also, you got to consider, man, you get into like a real Irish village, there ain't a lot of room to move around in those little houses. Well, it's funny you bring up the Irish village. They, so they, the the town, when they go into town, yeah. is a town um, called Kong. Kong. Kong with a C, not a K. It still exists. Uh, I pointed out that there was Emily's uh, something. Emily's, uh, I can't remember. It's a shop that has Emily's name on it. Yeah, what was that called? Emily something. <clears throat> that shop is a craft store. It's still there in that spot and still operating as a craft Radical. store. Radical. Yeah. That town, while they were filming, was getting electricity for the first time. Holy moly. And apparently the townspeople didn't like it. They were like, get out of here with this. We, we're, we do just fine without <clears> it. <throat> so Steve over there got something in his throat. I just had this really gnarly tickle just form mm-hmm. in my throat. I've been there. I've been there, does Steve. does not want to go away. Yep. <clears throat> Usually when this happens, I'll be tearing up any minute now. and Sure. And then eventually it'll pass. Please continue. So they were getting electricity as John Wayne and John Ford and Maureen O'Hara all were showing up. Yeah, and the townspeople weren't really into it. That's that's that was about it for that story. Wow, not into electricity. They did use a lot of the town people as as extras, essentially. Uh, I don't have that in here. Fudge. Steve is going to have to <clears throat> step away for a second because he is immediately. he is dying. Although he has a, a wireless microphone on. Jeez. Until he throws it on the floor. My battery popped right out. Holy oh, God. boy. Well, Steve is not on mic right now because <laughs> he dropped the mic pack so hard on the floor, it popped Yowza. the battery out of it. There's that. a rabbit living in this thing. Yeah? Make sure you turn it back on. It says it's on. Okay, yeah. I, I read you now. <laughs> oh, my oh, my gosh. Steve is I'm dying. I'm having a dry you guys, throat attack, you guys. You might be listening to the death of Steve Moulton. Don't die, Steve, please. I need you. I need you for this podcast. I mean, I've got Joey as a backup, but, you know, <laughs> just joking. I don't mean a backup. So, uh, we were talking about this town of Kong, and, oh, they used uh, a lot of the actors as extras in scenes. They also used some of uh, John Ford's family, uh, and John Wayne's family, I believe, as uh, 
extras. Some of them even got some lines, which was pretty pretty exciting. You mentioned earlier you referred to it as the Emerald Isle, correct? Aaron's Isle. Aaron's Isle. But yeah, Emerald Isle the Emerald is also Isle. like a, a nickname for it. So they they shot the movie. You noticed it was in color. Yeah. They shot it in Technicolor, which is really bright and vivid. If you ever see um, the inside of an old Technicolor camera with the film, it's actually really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very thick stock. Uh, the cameras are huge and uh, not cheap. So that was another thing with having to get all of that equipment over to Ireland is not... Yeah. Uh, it, it would sort of be the equivalent of shooting on IMAX film today. You know, those IMAX Whoa. cameras are huge with right. really big film stock, with a really big film gauge. Yeah. It would be kind of the equivalent of doing that. Something almost... Um, not quite experimental, but... It's just, like, impractical. Like, yeah. You, you want to do what when you could just do, huh? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know... Uh, <clears throat> um, Christopher Nolan shooting part of Batman... In, with IMAX yeah. well if you shot the whole thing in IMAX the reason they don't is because it's really expensive and and cumbersome although now there's digital IMAX which is Ooh, boy. Um, doesn't look as good but whatever I remember that very well oh stop that no I'm not not going there I'm not going there stop it I was trying to think of a a good Bane line but yeah, no. I'm, out. I'm trying to trying to save my own life here from this dry throat attack so speaking of Emerald, um, the uh, green, the it's color green, everywhere. is in every shot of the film. Whoa. But not in costumes. It's like uh, the Matrix. Except for one costume in the entire film. There's only one costume with any green in it? Yeah, not counting like the leaves of a flower or something like that. If you ignore that, all, none of the costumes have green. Except for one. Except for one. And it's when they finally get to go a courting, and they go to the cemetery, and she's wearing that dress with the green flowers all over it. That's the only outfit with green in it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because there's that much green that you just figure it's all over everything. Yeah. Good call. A lot of blue, a lot of white. A lot of blue, a lot of white. A whole lot of tweed. A lot of tweed. Which isn't exactly a color, but... Yeah, there's a lot of beige. A lot of beige. Green. Quite a bit of red. Uh, Maureen O'Hara kept wearing that big red skirt every once in a while. Holy cow, that red lipstick on her on yeah. her face. And her red hair. And her red hair, of course. Praise Jesus. She was actually Irish. With a name Maureen like O'Hara? O'Hara? Yeah. Who would have thought? I don't know. This is also one of the few films where they actually speak Irish. Yeah, that was a cool little scene. It, it's, a, I, it, it's a really fantastic scene. Not only is it a good scene and means something, yeah. they don't subtitle it, right. which is awesome. And... Again, it's movies don't don't use that language. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think they speak Irish in like Waking Ned Divine or The Commitments, right? Or even Billy Elliot at any point. There is one thing that I never really quite got, and that's who's really telling the story. Because at one point, it's Maureen O'Hara telling the story. Like she, you're not talking about the actual narrator. Does she narrate at one point? Yeah, there's a part where she where she narrates when he's looking at the the house for the first time coming back. She's narrating it. It sounds like to their child. I don't remember that happening at all. I thought the only narrator was the priest the whole time. The priest and someone else. There's one other person, I think. Oh my god. Yeah, and I never really understood. Like for most of it, it was the priest. Mm Hmm. So I don't know. I do not remember. 
I, I, I just distinctly remember her talking. A female narrator. Anyways. Um, did she say goodnight, Marty? Yeah, she did. I knew it. Where are we at here? So they... <clears throat> oh, God. They show up on the cart. The priest stops them. Yeah, he does. On the cart. And he says, I need to talk to McLean. Alone. I yeah. Talk to him alone. Isn't that kind of weird? It's extremely weird. Because they never, they never referenced it ever again. They didn't, did they? No. So, again, another, another scene that was cut out of the movie. What was supposed to happen? So, it's not, not important, not really relevant. Okay. Uh, it's, um, it was more of a character, like, background establishing thing. So, it turns out Micheline is the town bookmaker. Right? Uh-huh. Which we know through the film. Right. Um, not bookmaker. Bookie. Bookie. Yeah. I think bookmaker is maybe the old. Yeah, bookmaker. I read that or bookkeeper like or something. I read that somewhere. Uh, bookkeeper is more like an accountant. Yeah, right. Bookmaker That's what is more like a yeah, an accountant. Account, like yeah, he's basically a bookie. Yeah. Uh, but bookie comes from something. I'm not sure. It's tell, bookmaker. Tell us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Got it. Uh, and the priest is low on funds. Like he's mm-hmm. poor. So they have a little something something to work out. So it's more of just like sort of an establishing thing. I think uh I think the censors were kinda all over this. Really? Yeah, and I think I think it was a censorship issue where wow. they didn't think it was appropriate. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. There was a line that was cut out in the film too, I t- I pointed out to you, but Wow. It's like only every neighborhood in every city in America has low level organized crime yeah. going on and bookies everywhere. Well I think why should they have it in the I movie? think the idea is that they didn't want the Catholic Church to be seen engaging oh. in illegal activities. So I think censors cut the scene for that reason. Okay. They didn't they didn't want there to be a negative light on the Catholic Church. Which is interesting because they um so so he shows up in town he sees Maureen O'Hara. Yeah. And he immediately falls in love with her. Which is silly, but I get it. You know. She's Maureen O'Hara. <laughs> she's she's herding sheep. Oh. And he is determined to buy the house that he, he was born in and lived in as a lad. So he goes to speak to the widow who owns the house. She's the richest person in the town. Oh, yeah. She's also supposed to be extremely generous, big on charitable works. She seems like a pretty nice lady. Yeah. When you first see her, you almost wonder if she's going to be kind of like a Wicked Witch of the West kind of a situation. Oh, no. But she she actually is really nice. She's very nice. What's her name? The Widow Talan? Talan or... Yeah, something like that. Tulan? I could probably look it up right here. Well, it turns out that uh, what's Maureen O'Hara's name? In the, uh, Mary in the Kate. Mary Kate. So Mary Kate's brother. Yeah. Uh, they just refer to him by his last name, Dennehy. Danaher. Danaher. Sorry, yeah. not Brian Dennehy. His his character's Danaher. name is Squire Red. Red Will Danaher. And they only mention Red a couple, like once or twice yeah, in the film. They usually just call him Danaher. So Danaher sh- shows up when he's trying to buy the the house back and he's like oh, I've been trying to buy the house forever blah 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 you know that I made a good offer that's worth plenty and and it would put his land right up next to her land yeah. so that they could work side by side those lands together 
Well, he's kind of cocky, mm-hmm. and she doesn't really like that. So she sells uh, Thornton the house. Yeah. To Denneher's, uh chagrin. So we learn uh, more about the townspeople. We learn that uh, Thornton sleeps in a sleeping bag. Yeah. He meets uh, the Reverend, who Reverend recognizes him, but not sure Reverend from Snuffy. where. Snuffy, yeah, <laughs> Snuffy. Snuffy. Uh, he's not sure where he recognizes him from. And oh, right, yeah. He's just like, ooh, aren't you Trooper Thor? Well, he doesn't, doesn't even remember that until the horse race. Oh, yeah, true. He's just like, I know I recognize you from somewhere. Yeah. And, and he's like, nope, I don't think so. I got that kind of face. Yeah, I got that kind of face, Reverend. So he goes home and he finds that somebody's been sweeping up and lit a fire in my new home. Mm. Who? What vagrant is in here? So he throws a rock and scares... Uh, Maureen O'Hara, Mary Kate, and she, it's like howling wind outside, and she tries to run for the door, and he grabs her at the door and whips her back in and kisses her, the wind blowing all around them, in a a moment that we're going to see in a few months in another movie that I love, and uh, he thanks her and tells her that it was a very nice thing that she did. It was a very nice thing that she did. And so she leaves kind of smitten. Aww. And they spend the rest of the movie treating each other like garbage. No, I don't know if I go that far. I, but it's pretty close. I think they spend the rest of the movie unsure of how to do what it is that they want to do. Because he doesn't understand their traditions. And he doesn't understand what it is that she's truly needing. It's not that she just needs a husband or whatever. It's that she needs... We talked about it when we were watching the film. The film's about liberation. It's about she needs liberation from sort of uh, being under a man's care and being kept by her family. Uh And he needs liberation from the guilt that he's been feeling over this tragedy that's befallen on him. This thing that he's so quiet about. The thing he's quiet about. Ooh... So, quiet man. <laughs> what happens? What, where are we at here? So he goes to try to get the brother to agree to let him date the Mary Kate, and the brother's right. like, "Hell no!" So the writes his name in his book. The yeah, and crosses a line through it. Cross a line through it. You're dead to me. So the priest and uh, Finney, Micheline Finney. Yeah, and. I think the Reverend's wife all concoct a plan. Yes, they do. To yes, the Reverend's wife. Okay. So not yeah. So, but not necessarily the Reverend. I'm sure the Reverend's in on it somehow. But right. Uh, they concoct this plan to convince Denneher that he shouldn't have. He can't. He can't get this this woman that he's in love with because he's already got a woman in the house. I.e., his sister. He's got to get rid of his sister. Right. So. Denneher sort of starts to put the wheels in motion to get her out of the house and get her a man. But also, quite cruelly, they convinced Denneher that the widow Tulane herself wants to marry him. Right. Which is completely false. Which is completely false. But And the only thing that's holding her back is the fact that his sister lives with him. And she's so in on it. The widow, the widow. The widow she's in on it. I thought she wasn't in on it. No, that was that was the like when the big reveal comes. Around. No, because they, they, you can see them all like talking during the horse race. <laughs> oh, I thought the widow was the one that wasn't in on it. Oh darn it! 
But either way, it's a pretty mean trick, even it though is the a guy's a jerk. Yeah. So, anyways, he lets the sister marry. Uh, well, they, he lets them court. Yeah. And then they they decide to just get past all of the BS. Yeah, they do. You know? Go straight for the A. Yeah, the courtship, <laughs> the court, the courtship scene ends in a cemetery, and there's like lightning striking and pouring rain, and he puts the coat his coat on her and, yeah. and holds on to her and kisses they her. French so. a little. <laughs> French a little. And uh, yeah, so they get married. And at the wedding, so a big piece of this is she the, she's supposed to come with a dowry. And it's her money. She's owed that money. It's hers. And it's the last... Her, that and the furniture are sort of the last symbols of like, once that gets released to me, that's my stuff. Yeah. I'm no longer owned. So, um, at the at the wedding, you know, he gives the $350 pounds in gold, puts it on the table, and then he announces his intentions to marry the widow. And the widow's like, who gave you permission to talk about this? I have no way. No way, Jose, basically. No way. And so she leaves, Jose and then Dennis. he gets mad, and he tips the table over. He's like, you'll never get the money, and blah, Which blah, blah. Which is a strange way to stop someone from getting money, by spilling it on the floor. Yeah. Not a great tactic. Right. And what then, does he do to uh, the quiet man? Oh, punches him in the he sucker punches him real bad. Yeah, knocks him out, and then that's when we that's when we get the revelation that he actually was a prize fighter. Oh, Nikes! And he doesn't. He's sort of been called on to fight once or twice in the film, and he's he's kind of walked away from it. And now we know that it's because he he accidentally killed somebody in a in a prize fight back when he was prize fighter Trooper Thorn. Right, he killed a man. A good man who was a good boxer, but he just walked into the ring on the wrong day. Yeah. So, anyways, he he takes Mary Kate home and she's upset and he doesn't seem to understand the the significance of the money. Yeah. And also, there's a piece of it where she doesn't want her brother to win anymore. She, right. you know, she says, you know, it, he want he doesn't want me to have it. That's why I want it. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, he he being uh, Sean Thornton has this argument with her. She locks herself in the bedroom. He kicks the bedroom door down quite quite efficiently. And he he says a line that I really liked, which was, uh, "There will be no barriers and locks between us except for the ones in in, in your heart, oh, or yeah. something something that effect." And he picks her up, and she. Almost, I mean, he actually grabs her by the hair and kisses her, right. but he's like really got her hair. Um, and he picks her up and brings her over to the bed, and you can kind of tell that maybe she's like thinking, okay, this is actually going to go a better way. Like, uh. like he's sort of apologizing, and we're going to get in bed together. And Ooh. he throws her down on the bed, breaks the bed, and walks out of the room and goes to sleep in a sleeping bag out in the yeah. living room, which leads to when, uh, People show up the next morning who've been drinking all night after yeah, the wedding. They have. Show up with furniture. They they bring in the baby uh, bassinet mm. and uh, and they ask where to put it. And he's like, "Where do you think?" And he goes into the the bedroom and sees the bed destroyed. And he's like, "Whoa!" Oh yeah, Michaeline sees that. Michaeline says, "Impetuous, Homeric." 
Is that what he says? Yeah, impetuous Homeric. This is, and then censors cut the line, uh, the man's power. Funny. Impetuous Homeric, the man's power. That was just one line too much, apparently. I guess so. Talking about the Duke's dick. <laughs> Breaking the bed. Um, but that's not how it broke. That's just what good old Micheline thought he saw. Yeah. So, so she's got her furniture. She's got her china. But she still doesn't have the 350 pounds. And they, go into ta- they go into town to go get a, like a horse, right? <clears throat> Some farming equipment. They talk about planting roses. Yeah, they say they're going to walk to town. And he surprises her with that horse and buggy thing. Yeah, the little buggy. Uh, yeah, now I remember. So anyways, should they see the brother there. And they know he's got money. The money. Yeah. And she's trying to convince him to do it. And he's like, I'm not going to. And so she leaves him in town. He goes to confront the brother. Um, the brother, does he punch him again? Probably, or I'm sure he at least tries. Yeah. And then, um... He basically says, you'll never get the money. Yeah. Well, he says, he's, he's, the brother says, like, you need to come right out and ask me for it. Oh, yeah, he won't do it. Yeah, uh, Sean Thornton won't, he won't specify what it is he's there for. The guy's like, you need to ask me for it. And when you ask me for it... Like, it'll be the last thing you ever ask for or something like that. He basically yeah. says, as soon as those words come out of your mouth, I'm going to freshen up your puss with a knuckle sandwich. Right. And um, now the reverend, at this point, knows who he is. And I, I suspect other people in town, maybe Micheline, knows. Yeah. Because when when Thornton walks away from the potential fight, Micheline sits down on the steps inside the bar and just kind of puts his head in his hands. Because I think he kind of knows that, like... He could just do it, right. and he could settle this once and for all right now. Right. So, he goes home, seems to patch things up with his wife. They, like, he holds her in the chair by the fire. She's gone and talked to the priest. Yeah, Monaghan. that's when they have the uh, the Irish conversation. The right? Irish, the conversation in Irish. And she talks about how... Um, he slept in a sleeping bag, and on their wedding night. on their wedding night, and she, it's later kind of learned that she's upset because he she married a coward. Yeah, and so anyway, and then he goes and talks to the reverend, who basically says, "What's more important, you never fighting again, or your or the love of your wife?" Right, and he says, "I don't know." And he reveals his nice scrapbook of sports headlines and pictures. Yeah, including the headline about him killing the... About Trooper Thorne. Trooper Thorne. Killing his best friend in the line of boxing. Well, the best friend, but... Uh, there was a deleted scene. Yeah. So, they seem like they make up... When he wakes up in the... When Thorn, Thornton wakes up in the morning, he finds his wife gone. Finney's out there and he's like, she had me take her to the... Train early this morning, crack of dawn. Yeah, and so uh, Trooper Thorn gets gets his clothes on and heads there. Uh, How come the train hasn't left? How come she's still at the train station? Well, she's in a train car. Uh huh. And the uh, what would you call him? The 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 man? I guess the engineer. There's an engineer and a conductor, and yeah, the, the guy up in the engine car. Is uh, 
apparently four and a half hours late. And so the guy with the mustache comes by and he's like, why is this train four and a half hours late? And the other guy starts explaining, I don't even remember what. And then it's like the, a sporting match. And they, yeah. oh, this, your town's never... Oh, the never, hurling match, yes. You, they never won and he's like, that's a lie. Yes. And, and so, they, so because the one guy said yeah. that's a lie to the other guy, they just immediately start taking their shirts off. And they both are sort of regretful immediately and yeah. just kind of like, well, this is the life we live. Right. It's like somebody called somebody a liar, got to duke it out. Yeah. So they're getting ready to duke it out, and here comes Sean Thornton looking for his wife. And everybody assumes, wait a minute, if Sean Thornton's here to get his wife back, that must mean he's ready to kick her brother's ass. But not before he manhandles her. For five miles. Yeah. From the train station in Castletown. He literally drags her. All the way back to And pushes her on the ground and picks her up and pushes her on the ground. She loses a shoe several times. So John Ford thought that that whole thing was improvised. Oh. Turns out Maureen O'Hara and John Wayne planned all of it out and rehearsed it meticulously. That's good to know. Unbeknownst to John Ford. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because she is in ragdoll territory in that scene. Now, there's there's another interesting thing about that scene. When he's dragging her across the field. Oh, gosh. I think I know exactly what you're about to mention. The, sh- the sheep dung? No. So, uh, when they weren't shooting, John Wayne and John Ford went along the path and kicked as much sheep dung in the path as possible. Oh, no. To purposely drag her sort of as a prank. That's awful. So she heard about it. So she and a friend went and kicked all of it out of the way. Okay. And then when they weren't looking, John Wayne and John Ford went back and kicked it all back in. So they so they drug her through actual crap. Oh, and that's so gross. John Ford instructed the crew that no one was to allow her a fresh set of clothes or a towel. Good grief. She, she had to wear the clothes the rest of the day. Some Why? Some funny prank, I guess. Hey, let's drag you through animal shit. I I at first it's kind of funny, like if if it had just happened the, nah, the one way no. I can I can understand a joke. Like if maybe not yeah, a woman. Yeah, but when shit's involved, it's yeah. that's not that's way overboard for a joke. Yeah. If it were, you know, a, a bunch of like blueberries that she squashed. Nah, I mean, like I don't actual know. shit, like the dirtiest thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not particularly bothered by it, except for the fact that once she, once she caught them, right, and did away with it, they were like so insistent on doing it, and then not letting her have a towel to clean yeah. herself up. That's too far, pranksters. But, if you're listening, when you get busted planning a prank or even get caught pranking. Just, you got, then, when the other person's smart enough to catch you, you got to just give up on that prank. For the love of Jeff. So, he drags her to the brother. The whole town's there watching. Everybody's taking bets on what's going to happen. Doesn't someone offer him a particular item that's pretty terrible? A shillelagh? Dragging her. Sort of. Oh, oh, the the switch, the the branch. The switch, yeah. To to beat your lovely woman. Yeah, that's pretty. To beat the lovely girl. An old farm lady. Yeah. The one, at the, tree, one who hangs out at the train station all yeah, the time. Yeah, she's like, sir, here, I found this for you, to beat your lovely wife. So, they get to the brother, and he demands the money, and the brother's like, no way, then he says, you know, then you, then this is essentially a breach of contract. He throws the girl back at the brother and is like, you gotta take her back. Yeah. And so the brother gives the money, he walks over to the furnace and burns the money, and then puts his arm around the wife, and it implies that he's going to kick the living snot out of 
the brother, and she's like, there'll be a hot dinner waiting for you when you get home. Mm-hmm. And she walks away all happy and proud. Doesn't look back. And then uh, they prepare to fight. Yeah. And we're about two hours into the film. Holy shnikes. So the reason why I bring that up, there was another stipulation that Republic Pictures had on this film. Oh. And that was, this film was to not, under any circumstances, go over two hours. Whoa. Not two hours and one minute. Not, N- not two hours and 30 seconds. Whoa. Nothing over two hours. John Ford trimmed it as much as he could, and the the lowest he could get the movie to was two hours and nine minutes. I'm pretty sure there was plenty of trimmable material still in that movie. Oh, you know, I don't know if I would have... I, I don't know if there's anything in there that would cut out that I feel like... I feel like everything that's in the movie helps the film. There's nothing yeah. in there that, that... You know, like, it's either character development or, like, a reprieve from, you know, the spousal, like, Maybe. angst and, you know, there's, like, humor stuff and... Maybe the horse riding scene is long, you know. A little long. The dragging scene is pretty long. Dragging scene is long, but it but it's right because you want it to feel long. Like she really got it. Yeah. You know, you want it to feel like like he really went the distance with her. You don't want it to be like he drags her out across the stream and then they're there. Courting scene is pretty long. Courting scene is long, but it's I think important. You know, it's like the one time where we actually get to see them like kind of be alone together and be happy. Yeah. You know, and really get to know each other. And we also get to learn, like, how into each other they are by, like, okay, we can just bypass these months of things, traditions that we're supposed to do. Mm. Also very important for her because for her to sort of skip the tradition of things is a big deal for that character, right? So, I don't know. Agree to disagree, whatever. But Agree the dish is green. So, anyways... They loved the movie. Yeah. So he, he did a screening, and at two mi- two hours, yeah, exactly, an alarm went off. He shut the movie out. The screen went black. Wow. And the producers were like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! What? Like, where's, where's the fight? What happened?" And he's like, "I couldn't, I couldn't get it over. I couldn't get it under two hours." Whoa, that's a ballsy move. <laughs> it's a really ballsy move. And so they agreed to allow it to be two hours and nine minutes. Cool. And, 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 and then the then last ha- nine minutes are a fist fight. And the last nine minutes are a fist fight. For a long time, it was the longest one-on-one fight in cinema history. Wow. Um, I'm not sure. I think um, Rocky and Creed, I think that fight is ten or so minutes. Oh, all right. Or maybe longer. Yeah. Um, so, anyways. Cool. Yeah. So... Now, how does the fight end? Does one man kill the other to death with well, punches? One man definitely spits teeth out. That does happen. They uh, they end up uh, fighting all the way into town. All the way into town. They they fight across rivers and they bridges. Take, they take a break for some Guinness. Yeah. They go back out while John Wayne punches Danaher out of the bar, out of the pub. Yeah, and that's to, sort of to start round two. That's sort of the defining like. End of the end of the thing. Yeah, him, him getting yeah. punched out of the pub is the last last time we see a punch get thrown. No, I thought they punched a little bit more, and then they wind up back at at Thornton's house. And nah, well, he the next we see is they're they're just he's got him over his arm. Oh, okay. And they're singing on the way to the house, and she 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 gives him all dinner. I thought they did quite a bit more fighting before getting to his house. I don't think so. I think the the punch through the door is sort of the deciding. Maybe that was just thing. A, a wet dream I had. Yeah, probably. 
But uh, so one other thing that happens with the town, yeah, is uh, <clears throat> Snuffy, the good old Snuffy, the Reverend, yeah, is probably going to be sent away because his congregation is so small. So they they sent um, a bishop to come to town to see the congregation in person, and yeah. if it's too small, they're going to send him away. An so English bishop. So the entire town comes out and sort of uh, cheers Snuffy and the bishop on as if yeah. they were. Members of his congregation, including the priest, yeah, who you know, in Ireland, the the idea between a Catholic priest and a, a Protestant reverend being not just being friends, but like a priest pretending to be a member of his congregation is a right. really, really big deal in Ireland. And he says my favorite line, which is "Cheer real out," or what's he say? He says like uh, "Cheer and celebrate like you're Protestants." Yeah, or something like that. yeah. That was funny. My favorite line. I forget how it goes, folks. But it made me laugh. It's a good line. It's a very good line. And uh, so presumably Snuffy gets to stay and yeah. everybody's happy. It all, all ends positively. Oh, the... Nicolene uh, makes a lot of money taking bets on the fight as it happens. The, the widow decides she actually does like Denaher. She likes Denaher. And she Denaher. ends up with him. They end up courting at the end of the she movie. She gets married in a lovely lavender blouse. Well, they go courting. Remember, they're in the courting See, I thought they... Cart. But remember when the first two got in the courting cart, they had to opposite sit on the sides. opposite sides. I know. These two were sitting side by side. I think they were married. They were. I think they were previously married, so they've already been through the whole, like, oh. she's not pure anymore because she's a widow oh. kind of a thing. So I think they were allowed to stick to each other. Interesting courting for adults, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Should we talk Close Encounters? Yeah, we should get to it here pretty, pretty shortly. We're, we're about on, on par <laughs> for timing-wise. Um, so well, oh, so I wanted to I wanted to point out um, a couple more things. Yeah. So the Protestant uh, Catholic thing. So the church that he meets her at, and he, you remember he um, he cups the holy water for her. He, like, oh yes, dips his hand into the holy the font. <laughs> patty fingers, something like that. Yeah, patty fingers is like you know you play patty cake and you got your hands all yeah. over the place. He's saying no patty fingers because like you know you pat meat and stuff. Yeah, don't don't be touching Joe's meat. Yeah, yeah. I don't, they didn't really mean it that way, but um, genital meat. But no, he he, he uh, when he first sees her at church, he puts his hand into the font and and holds the holy water, and she's like totally appalled by it. That they built that and put that outside the church because oh. um, it was a Protestant church. Ah, a Protestant church didn't want it in there. Wow. Um, and the Catholic Church didn't really want it in there either because they thought it wouldn't really look good if they pushed for that. Huh. So they ended up kind of... Basically, the movie was like, hey, we're going to leave Ireland if you don't let us do it. Wow. So they, they made a compromise and had it just outside the door. A little funny little fountain sink on the outside of a church. Why not? So the last thing I wanted to bring up. So we talked about how in... 1936, he bought the rights for $10. Yeah. They didn't make this movie till 1951. Dang! Yeah. That's a long time to be wanting to make a movie. 15 years? Yeah, almost 20. Holy shnikes. That is a long time to be wanting to make a movie. Or trying to, you know. Presumably he went to studios and... Wow. It's, it's interesting because, you know, he was a proven moneymaker. He was an Academy Award winning. He'd won three Academy Awards at this point. Yeah. You know, or by this time. Had a proven star on his hands. Well, he didn't until he got to Republic. But, he, well, he had Maureen O'Hara. Oh, okay. 
But he didn't have John Wayne until he got to... Now, John Wayne was signed to an exclusive deal with uh, Republic for, I think, seven movies. This was the seventh movie of that contract. And wow. It was the end of it. There you have it. Yeah. I need to get a multi-picture deal. Do it. Get on it, dude. I'd love to. All right. Back to our Spielberg Odyssey. Back to Spielberg Odyssey. And now we've moved on to the fourth film? Fourth. The fourth film. Duel. Yep. Sugarland yep. Express. Some like a Jaws. Yeah. And now... That would have been a good name for a podcast, Some Like a Jaws. That's what I tweeted about when it, the day <laughs> it came out. Oh, I said, we cover Some Like a Jaws. That's funny. Um, and today we watched... The movie that Ray Bradbury called the greatest science fiction movie ever made. Ray Bradbury Ray, said that? Ray Bradbury. That's incredible. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. What wow. is what is what is the close encounter of the third kind? What does that mean? Uh, I used to know this by heart. Basically, the third kind means that. Oh, what is it? Because it happens in the movie, right? The third kind is when. Uh, you know, I completely forget it's when they meet. When you actually meet the aliens. Oh, okay. But something that had not been coined. And maybe it's not official, but they talked about... So the guy who's sort of like the expert on all of this is actually in the movie. Yeah. Um, they actually experience a close encounter of the fourth kind. Oh. And that's being abducted. Ah. Some of these people are abducted, like the little boy is abducted. Right. But uh, Just pilots. So there are three different versions of this film. There's a theatrical version. Theatrical. I try, I'll try to say it correctly. You theatrical will. version. You'll succeed. There is a special edition. Whoa. Which one did we watch? We watched the director's cut, which is the ultimate edition, as Spielberg called it. Whoa. Uh, so, maybe I'll, I'll talk about what the difference is after. Okay. Uh, but if you've only seen the... We watched the ultimate edition, so if you've only seen the regular, the theatrical, or the special edition, we may leave something out, or we may add something in that you have seen or haven't seen. So, just bear with us, and I'll explain the difference after... Uh, after we discuss the movie, I think we can kind of, for the most part, broad stroke. We don't have to do the whole plot. Sure. Um, but if the, you haven't seen this movie by now, come on. Yeah, you, you, you need to watch it. Come on, guys. So Spielberg started writing this movie yeah. before Jaws, before working on Jaws. Mm. And he wanted to do a commentary on Watergate. Oh, and that this idea that there you have this UFO story that's um, all wrapped up in a government conspiracy because in this film the government goes to great lengths to hide what's going on from the American people, right? Um, all the way down to releasing some crazy gas and faking train accidents and yeah. stuff. So animal poisonings. He he referred to the movie. Not as a science fiction film, um, but science speculation. Oh. At the time, he said that he believed that we had already been visited by life forms from elsewhere. Yeah. But now, as an older grown-up, <laughs> uh, he he has changed his feelings on that. All right. And that you know we live in an age of everybody's got a camera in their pocket. You know why aren't there a ton of UFO videos if that you know if we really were getting visited like people right. said we did right so he he knew what he wanted the last act the last like 
35 minutes roughly of the film to be a little more than that. All right. So he basically started with that as his template and started working backward. Hmm. And he knew it was sort of operatic because he knew that he wanted them to communicate through math. Um, he viewed math or music as essentially math and vice versa. Yeah. So that's how they he ended up kind of deciding that that's what they were going to do, working backwards and figuring out how to make that happen. Hmm. So the whole film is sort of done via the music. Yeah. So he he started casting people and he intentionally cast, you know, like Richard Dreyfuss, for example, uh, and Truffaut in the film because they are childlike. They're Ooh. optimistic. They're kids, you know, kids in adult bodies. They have a lot of fun. They're very silly. They believe in make-believe. Yeah. And then the people who were like the military personnel, he cast people who were sort of the, the pessimists and people people in real life who were sort of, not, not downers, but just more straightforward and straight-laced. Yeah. So the film starts in a sandstorm, essentially. And these UN people have found... Well, in Mexico, the, the Mexican military has found the, this, but they've called in the UN. UN shows up, and there are these fighter planes, and the what? fighter planes are in good condition. The I, items, the paraphernalia, like photographs and maps and calendars inside them, are new. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my from, grandma was in one of those photographs. Yeah, from 1945. Yeah, all and, right. And then uh, they had, you know. 10 gallons of fuel still in them. Yeah, the nobody one plane knows. starts right up. Yeah. The, first try. Nobody knows how they got there, and that's our first, like, hint about things. Um, a little bit later, we get we go to the Gobi Desert. In Mongolia. In Mongolia. Whoa. And what do we see there? UN trucks with and, their blue flags. Jumping over the, the dunes. Jumping over the dunes. But what else is there? What are they there for? Um, when they get there, they find, um, well, it's the Gobi Desert. So this item seems a little bit out of place. It's a gigantic ship. I forget what the name like a, was. Like a trawler. Uh, yeah, it's... Tauski or something like that? Op, 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 I don't know, something with a P and an O and an X. and. Yeah, I'm guessing maybe a big... It's a, it's a tramp steamer is what it was. Oh, okay. It wasn't like a warship of any kind? No, but it's important and it kind of ties into the... Planes. This was our our real only tie-in to understand what the story is behind the planes because they never yeah. flat out tell us. Right. Um, that is a real ship. I mean, it's not the real ship. Right. But that ship in, it was a historical. You know, it had historical significance in that it disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in 1925. It done disappeared. So that's why they made a point of saying the name of the ship was to let people know. Like, huh? This is yeah. Hey, this is... This is based on a real occurrence. Yeah. Or at least a real mystery. Yeah. And yeah, that plane one, uh, that's that's a fairly well-known one. And it's very we, cool. I don't think I've ever seen this movie from the very, very beginning like that. Because that plane scene was all new to me. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah. It was a great scene. Were those the planes that went missing in the Battle of Los Angeles? Or am I conflating two different I potential UFO stories? I think... Was that the same... Time period? 1945. When was Battle of Los Angeles? I think it was around World War II. Uh, and it was basically like just something weird showed up over yeah. L.A. And all these planes went up to fight it and stuff. And 
Yeah, what they made say a, 41, Asylum right? made a movie about it a couple years ago, right when Battle Los Angeles came out. Yeah. If you remember it, yeah. that happening. So, nevertheless, um, pretty cool to tie in real world mysteries into this new mysterious story. Yeah. So uh, we also go to India. Yeah. And um, there's a crowd of people chanting in sort of melodic tones, the tones that we're going to come to know. And uh, the chant that they're saying is, um, he has come. Oh. He has come, he has come in, in, in Hindi. Yeah. And they're saying it in the tones that the aliens taught them. Yeah. So throughout the film, we see different people who encounter... Uh, an alien visitation these ships that go by they sunburn like half their bodies or whatever side is facing the the ships or whatever yeah um, how, how in detail do you want to go over the plot I'm trying to pause my phone I'm, I've got the IMDB page open and it just keeps playing the trailer over and over again okay. um, yeah I mean we don't have to go too in depth into the plot because A everybody should have seen this movie by now yeah it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. B, if you're listening to this, you really should have seen now, it by now. Well, you said you hadn't seen this movie in quite a while. From start to finish in one sitting in a really long time. Yeah, and you mostly were awake for this. Um, yeah, mostly. <laughs> so, what, what stood out in your mind? Like, what were the scenes or the moments that really... Definitely the planes. I really yeah. don't know if I've ever seen that. I mean, maybe when I was a tiny little kid and it yeah. was on TV more regularly. Um, I've only seen the Ultimate Edition... Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if that's in the other editions. Interesting. In fairness. Um, and of course, before the planes, we start in, what would you say, a good 90 seconds of blackness with music? And well, first a, nothing, and then slowly music, like, yeah, just real. it's a bit like a symphony having a little bit of an overture at the very beginning. Sure. It's also a little bit like the very beginning of a 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Starting in the blackness, and then just the most brilliant explosion of white light, and the, as the music hits a big crescendo, and then we're in Mexico, and these men are arriving. One thing I, I thought was really funny in that scene was how um, a station wagon pulls up with like nine guys in it, and they all just come getting out like, hey, we're here for the thing too. Whereas nowadays in movies, you know, it would be like... Ten SUVs with only like two guys in an SUV in each yeah. one, you know, and everybody would be like super aware of what was going on. And yeah. these guys are like, "No, we're here too. What's happening? We're here to do what? We're looking." I thought that was a really good you human think, touch. Do you think also? Do you think uh, like um, gas rationing like earlier in that decade maybe had an influence on something like that, or do you think it was just it just was the time? Well, that was going on right around seventy seven, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, it would have been like just prior to that, right? I think it was right around that no, time. I think no, it was like 77 enough. to 79 or fair something. Enough. But I wasn't alive. I don't know. Um, you pointed out the uh, the real air traffic controller scene. That's a dope scene. Yeah, it was really great where they uh, they have the the UFO is encountering two other airplanes. Yeah. And the airplanes are like basically evasive maneuvers. Right. And not wanting to report it because they don't want to look like they're crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a great scene. I like that a lot. Because, yeah, because yeah, it's also like... That is way more realistic to how it would probably happen, you know. Yeah. Not, you know, Anthony Hopkins and the government, some some weird uber-secret government agency are, like, totally waiting for the Transformers to show up, everybody. We got it all on lockdown. No, this is like a bunch of working-class Joes just being like, 
Yeah. Uh, do you want to make it official that that's what you saw? Or, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think I want to make that official. That's yeah. freaking hilarious. And even the one guy, like the one guy at the front of the shot, he's saying like, oh, maybe it's just like a spaceship or something. I don't know, man. Like, what's he ta- <laughs> What's he describing? I don't know. And I was like, that's funny. He's just flat out saying, maybe it's a spaceship, but nobody wants to admit it. Yeah. That was cool. Lots of cool moments in that movie. Well, there's like, you know, there's the mashed potato moment and the... And the uh... The clouds the over cl- the little oh, yeah. kid's house and the mom. Yeah, the, the clouds are re- the clouds are really cool. So the clouds they mixed, um, I believe, equal parts fresh water and salt water, and then mm. injected a uh, white paint or something in. I think into oh, wow. the into that, and that's they shot the sort of clouds that that made in the water. Yeah, and that's how they shot the clouds because that's a real that's a real practical effect. That's the, they tested. This is one of the f- first films to test using CGI. Oh wow! Or if you use uh, computer graphics, but yeah, um, not CGI as we know it now, right. but early CGI. And Spielberg thought it looked too fake, so he he turned oh, it down. Wow. And I'm glad he did. Yeah, because I mean, the stuff that they do in this movie, you know, it's not perfect, but it has it has a lot more like heart. Well, and it feels tangible. It feels real, <clears throat> more yeah. real that way. The, even even the sort of like almost um, stop motiony uh, alien yeah. stuff that they do kind of at the end of the film. Uh, like they did some really smart things. So the cinematographer who shot, so there are like 11 cinematographers who worked on this film. Wow. And the one who was, who was dealing with that stuff um, sent the film and asked it to be overexposed. Mm. So when it came back, they would look kind of hazy and not and like fuzzy and a little unclear. Yeah. And the assistant who got it was like, oh, this is wrong. And had it done quote unquote correctly. Right. And then saw it and was like, oh my God, you can totally tell this is fake. Oh. And the the DP was like, got mad at her and asked her to do it again the way he, he ordered it and it, yeah. that fixed it. But wow. but I mean that's a smart call, like understanding that, you know, this isn't a perfect medium. Right. And that some things aren't we, we don't know what this stuff would really look like. So right. you know, there's gonna be some creative license you've got to take right so crank up the blinding light and give them only a glimpse of the creature guy there right and I, and I think that was a really interesting you know you talk about the light Spielberg specifically wanted lens flares all over this movie and mm-hmm. you, you can tell that like this this is the this is one of those films that greatly influenced a filmmaker like J.J. Abrams oh yeah and J.J. Abrams t- takes a lot of crap for it, but yeah. but the reality is, like Spielberg was doing it a long time ago, and really, really intentionally, hmm. and and partially because it obscures the camera a little bit, partially because it looks cool and beautiful. Yeah, um, sort of adds to the mystery of these mysterious things that we're seeing flying around. Right. right. <clears throat> I need more water. You need more water. Uh oh. Yeah, dude, my my throat just keeps drying right back now. up. So. You, uh, so there's a little thing that I wanted to mention. I'm going to come with you so I can keep talking to you. Oh, all right. So there's a little thing that they did in the film, uh, or that they tried to do, which was um, originally they were trying to do uh, use the song When You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio. Oh. They couldn't get the rights to the song. But there are lots of moments throughout the film where that, that device that was written into the into the film is still there. So, yeah. um, pretty early on in the film, when you first meet 
Richard Dreyfuss's character. Um, he's with his kids and his wife. Yeah. And the wife's like, you promised to take the kids. And he tries to convince the kids to go see what movie? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. And then later when he's... Um, he sees the... Whoa. <laughs> you okay over there? <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. That I'm sure throat. the audience heard it too. That was my throat just being like, hey, I'm very dry. I'm going to make this weird noise. So when, uh, when he builds the big clay devil's tower... Yeah. And he gets the realization that the top comes off of it and stuff, and he starts moving things aside, and there's a little music box on the right. table. What What is the music box? Looks a lot like Pinocchio, but it almost looks like he's looking at a Humpty Dumpty. But what's it playing? When You Wish Upon a Star? When You Wish Upon a Star. Oh. And then, and I pointed this out, backed it up for you so you could, so you could really get it, but um, at the end of the film, as Richard Dreyfus is about to walk onto the ship... In the score, you hear a very kind of slow version of when you yeah, wish upon a star. Yeah, it's pretty hard to pick out. But once you know it's there, it's like, oh yeah, yeah okay, I got it. Um, but it literally only covers like when you wish upon a star, right? It yeah, that's been, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, Make I think sure that's I how you. Right I think part. you know, legally, probably about all they could do. Um, Eight notes. So let's talk about Not the bad. Let's talk about the music because. Um, I think the music is pretty pretty important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the tones. So that's the first thing. They knew they needed the, to have the, the tones ahead of time before filming. John Williams said that it couldn't be a fragment oh. and it couldn't be a whole song. So because it's just it's just about communicating something yeah. simple. So mathematically, he decided that four seconds would be too little. That would be a fragment. Anything, did I say four seconds? Four notes. Six notes would be too much because that would start to put it into song territory. So Weird. five notes is sort of like not really a fragment, but not really a song. So, because huh. uh, it's like it's like almost like too many measures yeah. for it to be, and but not full complete measures. So it's somewhere kind of in between. So he decided five was the magic number. Right. So he and Spielberg sat down and they listened to like hundreds of of five note combinations and eventually nice. like settled on the one. It wasn't pointed out till Spielberg to to Spielberg until nineteen ninety four. His father was a computer scientist and his mother was a musician. Oh yeah, and he never put that connection together that that's sort of how he wrote this film. Wow, um, until nineteen ninety four. That's funny. Yeah. That's where I got the inspiration for Nurse Drag Racer. I have no idea what you're talking about. My, my dad was a drag racer and my mom was a nurse. Oh. Darn gotcha. it. I sold that script for eight bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so they ended up fin- doing the entire score before the film was, um, before the movie was edited. Oh, cool. Spielberg wanted to edit the film to the music instead of the other way around, which is how wow. it's normally done. Because he wanted the whole thing to kind of feel like it was very musical, especially that last like act had to feel kind of like an opera. Hell yeah! Um, and I guess he was revising the movie constantly, right. so much so that after they had shot the movie, there were six different rap parties for the film wow. because he just was constantly just changing, things, constantly revising it. Wow, six different rap parties. Yeah, that's excessive. So they, but they, I did all of them. Yeah, right. They. uh so Columbia, who made this movie, Sony, Sony Pictures now, but Columbia at the time, um, they were about to sh- shut the doors 
Like oh, they were really? going out of business, about to go bankrupt. More. And the guy who gave us Jaws, like the biggest movie of all time, let's put our money all on this guy. Wow. And if this movie failed, it was going to destroy Columbia. And if it succeeded, it was going to save Columbia. Awesome. It ended up doing really well. It ended up making like $300 million or whatever. But Delicious. Um, it, uh, they only, they, for whatever reason, decided when we release it, we're going to do a limited release. We're going to show it in one theater in New York, the Ziegfeld. What the frig? And one theater in Hollywood, the Cinerama, Cinerama Dome. Okay. Um, and every screening in New York yeah. for four weeks sold out. Wow. And every screening in Hollywood for six weeks sold out. Awesome. And then they opened it wide, and it did it did pretty well. Okay, that um, makes a lot more sense. It was sort of the year where people were thirsty for sci-fi stuff because yeah. another film had come out prior to this. Battle Beyond the Stars. Incorrect. Did you hear that? What my throat no, that made a bit. Um, uh, uh, it was called the Maltese Falcon. Right. I'm just gonna cut to it because our battery packs are running low. <laughs> oh no, that's no, um, great. No, no, no. This, these one, the receivers. Oh. So, uh, Star Wars: A New Hope. What? Yeah, and you know George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were really close friends. And they were chums. A, there's a there's a story that I really like. Um, George Lucas had been working on Star Wars, been working really hard. Yeah. It was like his love child. And um, he was like super, super depressed about the movie. He just, oh. he poured his heart and soul and his money into it and um, nobody really knew. There was nothing like this before. Yeah. So nobody knew what was going to happen. He was pretty sure it was going to fail. And he showed up on set to Close Encounters and was just like blown away. Wow. Um, I have a quote from Spielberg. George came back from Star Wars, a nervous wreck. He didn't feel Star Wars came up to the vision he initially had. He felt he had just made this little kid's movie. He came to Mobile, Alabama, where I was shooting Close Encounters on this humongous set and hung out with me for a couple days. He said, oh my God, your movie's going to be so much more successful than Star Wars. This is going to be the biggest hit of all time. (laughs) At this point, a very desperate George Lucas made a fateful bet. This is one of my favorite stories about George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. In Spielberg's own words, he said... You want to trade some points? I'll give you 2.5% of Star Wars if you give me 2.5% of Close Encounters. Wow. I said, sure, I'll gamble with that. Close Encounters um, went on to earn $300 million, but, you know, obviously Star Wars was Star Wars. Right. Um, uh, by the end of 1978, Star Wars had earned $500 million worldwide. Wow. Which gave Spielberg $12.5 million. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. It's a... Uh, that's a funny thing. So they talk about the set, this gigantic set. So all that outdoor stuff at the end is actually inside a big, huge soundstage that they built. Cool. And um, it was super, super secretive for a couple of reasons. They didn't want what was going on to get out just for the sake of the movie, but they right. also didn't want somebody to hear about it and rush out a knockoff. Right. Because that was, that was like at the height of stuff like that. Right. Um, there was always like some low budget version and, and even like shortly after Star Wars you started seeing a lot of like um, foreign films be like um, Battle Beyond the in, Stars Indian yeah Indian Star Wars and stuff yeah, yeah. Um, I hear you and so uh, there was really tight security if you didn't have your, ba- your badge you weren't allowed on set oh wow Steven Spielberg was turned away because he forgot his badge at home one day wow yeah that's funny that's how uh, how crazy it was 
that's the burden of a bearded man, you know. Somebody could be disguising themselves as you just yeah. by slapping a beard on. Yeah. So the ship. Let's talk about the ship a little bit. ship's pretty rad. The ship's pretty rad. There's sort of like two parts. There's sort of like a top and bottom or bottom and a top. I would say, um, in a way, they become each other at one point. Yeah, I mean, it comes in one way and then it flips the other way around. Yeah. It almost looks kind of like a city on top and like yeah. a half dome underneath or something. And then there's also sort of like a city segment in the middle of it. Yeah. It's very... Uh, it's freaking awesome is what it is. So they went through a whole bunch of different things. They talked about like, you know, frying pan style UFOs that just come and blot out the sun kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when Spielberg was shooting in India, he noticed this refinery and took a bunch of photos of this refinery, which just really intrigued him. Like an oil refinery. Yeah. With big stacks and metal beams all over the place. And he knew that he, he was like this he was really intrigued by that and he thought this should be a, a part of the spaceship where we'd have all these like metal beams and things and you kind of see that and what sort of looks city like yeah um, on the one side of the ship like a bunch of skyscrapers and when he came back to California he was in the San Fernando Valley kind of overlooking it at night and saw the lights in that sort of grid kind of you know like when you see farmland from the sky how it's kind of gridded out into squares yeah when you see lights from a city the same way it looks kind of similar but it's lit up so the bottom part the dome part of the ship is looks like that so yeah. you sort of combine these two like kind of industrial with the beauty of of city lights see i had heard a completely different story i yeah. had heard one night he was parked up on the hollywood hills uh-huh. and he was laying on his back on the hood of his car with his head hanging off the front and he saw downtown la upside down and so that's what inspired the first shot of the city part of the ship coming over. I can't say if maybe that was in another interview. I literally watched Steven Spielberg, oh, <laughs> an okay. interview with Steven Spielberg um, from the DVD uh, features. Cool. And uh, th- those were his words. Nice. So, and they actually, sh- they actually showed um, the ship. They showed the, the, the lights as he's talking about the lights. Oh, yeah. And then they like, kind of come out and you realize it's actually the ship itself. Nice. It's really beautiful. Um, maybe in another interview, you know, sometimes they say maybe there's multiple ways. Yeah. Who knows? Um, there's a hidden R2-D2. We saw it. We yeah, you pointed, pointed it out. out. He's very hidden. Supposedly, there's a whole bunch of other things. Like, one of the, um, the fighter planes is supposed to be part of the ship. Yeah. Um, I've heard that a, a, a Jaws shark, a mechanical shark, is on somewhere on the ship. What? Um, I heard the briefcase from Pulp Fiction is on there. Yeah, sure, why not? Somewhere. A, the ship is in the Smithsonian, so you can actually see it, and the part with Whoa. R2 is, is visible. I gotta go to Washington for that. But, you know, you mentioned, you, or we mentioned Jaws. Yeah. You heard you heard Jaws during the movie, right? No. When the, oh, when the, the, when the thing was yeah. doing the, the tone, it yeah, was... Yeah, that was fun. It made its little, little thing. Um... And speaking of Jaws... Chrissy, yeah. Now, Spielberg also said that had he not made Jaws, that this would have been his toughest shoot he ever had. But he said that because they were on land, they were just constantly thankful that it wasn't constantly (laughs) moving and and sea walls, like, you know, ruining their shots and things. So um, Bruce sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Um, Although he he also said that um, to this day... Nothing's been harder than putting together the last, you know, 35 minutes of that oh, wow. Close Encounters. Just nothing at all. Nothing. Not even Minority Report was or harder than that. Schindler's List could, could have been a real emotional 
difficulty, true. I would think. Um, Very true. So while he was doing this movie, yeah, you know, we get to the end of the film and they line up all of the people in the red jumpsuits and Richard Dreyfuss's characters there, and they pick him yeah. to go with them on the ship. And while he's while they're shooting this, he has this realization: like, what if this was an exchange program and they were taking him? And they were leaving one of theirs. Oh. And that was the moment he came up with E.T. Nice. And he started developing it, and he went to Columbia, and he offered them E.T., and they shot him down. Wow. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's Universal's favor, I guess. Good point. They shot down E.T. Yeah. Um, I was just listening to something earlier today, and somebody was making a joke about, like, could you imagine being the idiot... At M&M's Mars, who was like, you want to put our candy in what kind of movie? Yeah, Get right. out of here. Right. <laughs> I mean, so McDonald's was all over Mac and me. Yeah, they literally they produced were like, that movie. They were like, hey, yeah, we want some of that M&M's money. Right. Or that Reese's money. Yeah, McDonald's and Coke were like, we should make a movie. So, uh, a couple more things that we'll just talk about real movie. quick. Yeah. Uh, so, we talked about Spielberg constantly revising the movie. So, let's talk about the three different editions. So, okay. this is actually a really cool special thing that I think happened. So, they released the movie. It did really well. Spielberg was not really happy with it. He always kept thinking, like, if we had another month, then this could have been better. If we had another month, we could have done... The aliens would have looked better, or the ship would have looked better, or this, you know, this would have been more impactful. Um, and he, I have, I've heard him say since that... And it's actually a conflict that I have, that he... If he were to make the movie today, he would never have had Richard Dreyfuss's character leave his family behind. Oh. Um, and, that, and I mentioned that to you, that like, I'm really conflicted by this film because I don't like that he leaves his family behind. Yeah. Um, but uh, he really wanted to, to add some things to the film. So the studio uh, agreed to release another version of it in theaters, a special edition. All right. Like... Almost immediately. All right. Like, I think within a year or two, they released another version of this into the theaters. But one thing that they were convinced the audiences really, really wanted to see was inside the spaceship. Oh. And you asked me about the scene. Like, like doesn't he go inside? It? Yeah. Doesn't he go inside the, the ship? Isn't there a scene where there's inside the ship? And he shot that. All right. And he did it so that way he could get the money to shoot the other things. Ah. To put them in. And they released the special edition, but then when he, they did an ultimate edition where they kind of combined both versions of the films, which All is right. what we saw, the director's cut. But he decided that inside the spaceship shouldn't be seen. That right. it should be built in the, the audience's mind. That it, it shouldn't be something, like, we've gotten enough out sure. of the Richard Dreyfuss character. Yeah. And sort of the hopefulness, and that's sort of, um, I guess I'll talk about the hopefulness in a second, but... Um, he ultimately decided that we shouldn't see that. Hmm. And, and so he took... That's one of the things that actually came out for the ultimate, the ultimate edition, the director's cut. Wild. Um, but the, the hopefulness, that's sort of like a Spielberg kind of hallmark. A lot sure. of people say like Hollywood endings and that kind of thing. I think he's just more about leaving things on a sense of... Even the, the movies that are kind of downers. Right. Like even you think about like Schindler's List or Munich, there's... A warning in those things, and there's terrible things that happen in them, but there's always this sort of like little hint of hope at the end of all of those films. For sure. Um, and I think that's a real hallmark of Steven Spielberg. And um, and I think that was, you know, he talked about how, I talked about how he said 
that he cast these people who are sort of like kids, and kids are sort of the epitome of optimism. They sort of right. tr- they trust before they they run away from stuff most yeah. of the time. And my favorite shot of the movie is I think I think he said is one of his favorites too. But it's and I like it for the colors, but. <laughs> Um, the shot of the little boy opening the front door and oh, all yeah. the orange light is coming in. I love just like how orange that is. is like brilliant to me. Yeah. But how scared the mother is. But how like completely unafraid the child is. Yeah, because he's just thinking toys. And that, that says everything about the film. Yeah. And it's funny when you compare it with a movie that come, came out maybe 20, almost 20 years later, like Independence Day. You know, movies, alien movies now are always about an invasion. It's always right. like horror, you know. But in, in you know, 1977 and 1981, uh, 83, uh, he, makes, he makes close encounters in E.T., right? 83. 81. 81. Maybe 80. No, because he did, he did, so he did, after this, he did... Color Purple, 1941, Indiana, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then E.T. So we're four movies away. We're in 1977. IMDb now says E.T. came out in 82. 82. So we're, I was in between. I thought for sure it was 81. Um, it may have been shot in 81. That makes perfect sense, um, now that you mention it. And that little boy uh, that was in this movie, four or five-year-old kid, yeah. was almost nominated for an Academy Award. Jesus, really? People were blown away by this kid. That's crazy. Yeah, people were absolutely blown away. Um, His mom did get nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah? A couple years later. Yeah, for what? What do you say? Christmas Story. Stop that. She didn't get nominated for Academy Award. Yes, she did. She got nominated for Academy Award for what? For Best Actress? For the mom in a Christmas Story. No. Probably Best Supporting. I'm looking it up. Okay, you look it up. I think she might have won, but she definitely um, got nominated. Well, the kid's performance was so striking that Stanley Kubrick originally wanted him to play Danny Torrance in The Shining. Whoa! Yeah, people that, people were really impressed by that kid. He did he did a, gr- a great job, Elsa. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. He's like super believable, but like knowing how they got him to do this stuff, the kid wasn't acting. Right. The kid was just being a kid. Right. So it's like you know, there's a scene where he like he looks out a window, or he, he's in the kitchen. And he sees something in the kitchen, and he smiles at it, and then he sees it, you hear this noise, and he looks over to the other side, and he smiles at something else. Yeah. They had, like, a guy in a gorilla suit and a guy in a clown suit off camera, and he was just smiling at those things. And then the guy with the gorilla suit took the mask off, and the kid smiled at him when the guy took the mask off because he thought it was funny. It's like... That works. You know, he says toys when he's looking out the window. Yeah. because Steven Spielberg held up a, a toy truck, and the kid was like, toys. Works for me. It's great in the movie. The execution yeah. is good. I'm glad they didn't nominate him for an Academy Award because it's not, not it wasn't really acting. You yeah, know? kids don't need awards. What do you? What you I'm, I'm looking up the Academy Awards. Oh my gosh! No, you got, come on. You just look up Christmas Story on IMDb. I did. It wasn't in there. That means it wasn't nominated. <laughs> she was nominated. No, it would. The movie would be. It would say awards. Three wins Damn and it. eleven nominations. I've heard it mentioned so many times Genie that she awards. was nominated. No. She was nominated for an Academy Award in this movie, though. Best a- best uh, actress in a supporting role. Right, right, right. But, I mean, not for a Christmas story. I know, but I've always heard that she was. No. And I could have sworn I looked it up, and now the information's gone. It's, you're crazy. It's the Mandela effect, dude. Chris, maybe. She won an maybe. Academy Award for Shazam starring Sinbad. But uh, that, that means that in another dimension, they took away her Christmas story Academy Award. No, no Kazam? Shazam? 
Kazam was the real one. Kazam was the real one. Yeah. Shazam is the fictitious one with Sinbad. Yeah, I typed in Christmas Story Oscar nomination into Google and zilch, my friend. That can't be true. So, Trump's America. So, do you think we we cover Close Encounters? I feel good about it. If you're still listening to this and you have not watched Close Encounters, make it your top priority. Let me just check my notes. Make sure I didn't miss anything. Make it your primary action item. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, I mentioned this to you when we were watching it. Uh, the KOA campground yeah. at Devil's Tower screens the movie every night. Every night. And when we discussed, like, could that really be true every single night? It may be that the campground is closed for some seasons or off seasons or whatever. That would make sense. That maybe they only screen it when they're open. Uh, so. Wow. Yeah. Try just checking the notes real quick. Every night. I wonder what time of night. I wonder if they're like, hey, it's going to be the 10 o'clock movie. Bring your sleeping bag. Fall asleep under the stars watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, there, was a, there was a thing that they kind of took out. Um, so when the lights go out in the house, if you, can, if you see the model the, yeah. in the... Um, you know, the kids are like playing the trains and stuff. And yeah. There's like the models. Um they cut a thing out where so when the lights go out you can see that the the model kind of glows a little bit oh they cut a, a line out or a, a thing of dialogue where the kid was accusing the father of stealing his luminous paint and the father was like no I didn't I would tell you if I was going to use it oh that's and then funny it, the lights go out and you find out that the there it is dad actually took the paint sounds like something he'd do because let me tell you the way he was trying to explain fractions to his eldest son was not the best way to explain. No, but it was a great moment of foreshadowing, right? Yeah, like that they part's talk about true. the train derailment. That part's true, but Crazy there's way guess. easier ways to explain fractions sure. to a child, even a child that hates you. Sure. All right. Well, um, something we didn't mention in this podcast is that by the time you're listening to this, you'll have heard the Oscar podcast, oh, yeah. and you will know who our winner was by that point. I'm probably just going to declare. West, the winner. I mean, I won last time, but you never know. We've got, first of all, we've got Joey. Now, she could come out of nowhere and just True. blow us all out of the way. Uh, blow us all out of the water, is what I was trying to say. Um, and away, jumped in there too. It works. We'll have Desi with us again. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have had Desi with us again. You'll have, If you've already listened to it, you already know. Should we figure out a way to let Walt pick? No. No? No. Like maybe put a little ink on his paw and Walt's, have him walk around on Walt's a racist. He, you know. <laughs> Walt only, is racist. He'll only vote for white white people. That little jerk. Um, yeah, he, he wouldn't have voted for Moonlight last year. I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, Walt. He was like, hell or high water. You little racist dog, you. Yeah, little little. He master. loved hell or high water. Yeah, he really did. Actually, I just watched that finally for like, the first time like yeah. recently. And like earlier today, he barked at me and he was like, you think there's ten of me? And I was like, what did you just say? <laughs> He's like, that makes me a Comanche. What? What'd you say, Walt? He loved it. Sorry. I almost watched uh, Bone Tomahawk the other day. And now you've been getting getting at me, getting me, trying to get me to watch that. Just whenever you do. Call you? No. Let just, you know I watched it? Just have a, make sure you got like a really good hug somewhere in your day. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yeah, this this three three sixty five three. I'll, let's, we can talk about that real quick before we sign off. Uh, this three sixty five challenge is kicking my butt this month. Last month started really strong. Yeah, 
watched uh, 50 something movies 51 movies or something 51 movies in, in one, one month. month that's good uh, this month I'm, I'm lucky if I'm averaging one a day it's, it's a tougher month Part of it is I'm kind of running out of things that I really want to see. So now I'm, I'm like, you know, you make this, especially when you're a movie person, right? You make this huge list of movies that you want to watch. Yeah. And then you finally sit down to watch something and you're like, I don't want to watch any of this. It's like having 600 channels and nothing on. Right. So Bruce I, I'm so. kind of having to force myself. So I watched the Emoji movie just to force myself to watch something. Uh, but uh, I can... I can't imagine what that's like. That is the worst movie I've seen this month. Whoa! So we're so obviously we're still in February, folks. Now, do all um, these movies have to be something you've never seen before? No. Okay. No, they don't. So Close Encounters. So so watching Quiet Man, Close Encounters. That's two movies for okay, me right there. Two. All right. Yeah, which is great. Um, so let's see. Let me just take a quick look to see if there's anything I just really didn't like this month. Um, a lot of stuff from the Oscars that I can't really talk about right now. Understood. I watched uh, the new version of Birth of a Nation. Oh, right. Yeah, that was uh, With, uh, a tough watch. What's that guy's name? Nat Parker. It is Parker? I yeah. was thinking Parker, too. But I was Nat like, Turner is who the character is, and right. Nat Parker, well, who the historical figure was, and Nat Parker was the, the filmmaker. Uh, a hard movie to watch. Very good. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I think the work. Yeah. The worst movie I saw is the Emoji movies this month. Sounds about right. A lot of good stuff. There's a lot of really good stuff I watched this month. Yeah. I'll post about it on Facebook. Tootsie 2? Tootsie 2 is right here. Love it. Wasn't... Yeah, nothing nothing bad except for the Emoji movie so far. All right. But I've got, you know, I've got days to go. Although, um, hopefully at some point I'll watch the last couple Best Picture nominees I need to see. Oh, Yeah. So, hopefully, hopefully before uh, before we record, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to run those over mid afternoon tomorrow. All right, all right. Um, well, so that's it for us. This episode. Thank you, my friend Wes. No problem, Steve, my dude. I didn't sing the like song right. Notes. Well, I, I did. Problem is one note. It's just a long word. Yeah, no problem, Steve, my dude. That's five. But all right. it wasn't a haiku. But, true. And I didn't sing the notes correctly. That's but all I'm right. I'm not a singer. All right, folks, you don't want to hear any more of this. Until next time. <laughs> okay. Bon cinema. <laughs>